Amen. Please remain standing as we read Matthew 2, verses 1 to 18. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the king of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his stars when he rose and have come, when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had caught together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magus secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent to them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. When they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and, had, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is coming to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. He was two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was written through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Rama, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Jesus, we come to you, for you come light as a light to us, and you come in the middle of chaos. And not only do you do that in the world, but also even in the chaos of our hearts, that you come in the middle of that. So I just pray that we will recognize your presence in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. <clears throat> now, there are some of you that are like, why is 2023 ending? Uh, because for you, this year has been a great year. You know, you can talk about like the great opportunities that you received, that you encountered, you know, the wins that you got this year. And you're like, man, I don't want it to end because I don't know what the next year is going to bring. 2023 has been great to me. And praise God, it's been so good. And there's some of you that cannot wait for 2023 to end uh, because 
you know, you're looking forward to an opportunity you've been given in 2024. So maybe they said, hey, you, you're going to start this job on the 8th of January 2024. And you're like, I cannot wait for this year to end so I can jump into that opportunity. Or maybe you've set up something for yourself and you know you're going to kickstart it in 2024. So you cannot wait for this to end because you're looking forward to what's coming. But then there's some of us that have come to the end of this year. And you're like, I cannot wait for it to end because it's been hard, because it's been difficult. You have experienced hardship in 2023. And you have found this year to be difficult because of all sorts of things, but maybe some of us because of loss that we have experienced. Maybe you lost a job in 2023. Maybe you lost a business opportunity. Uh, maybe you lost an education opportunity. Maybe you lost a relationship in 2023. Some of you maybe lost your marriage in 2023. Some of you lost your loved one. You lost your daughter. You lost your son. You lost your mother. You lost your husband. You lost your father. And this year has been hard for you. And for some of us, maybe like we're not really looking forward to Christmas uh, because maybe this is the first time we're doing Christmas without that person that is no longer with you. And, and what sucks the most with loss um, is not only just about losing the person or the thing that you have lost, but actually it's uh, the dreams and expectations that are lost. Like when people go, they go with the dreams and expectations that we created or we were hoping to have around them. So that sucks. The dreams you had around your dad or around your mom, around the job, around the cousin, it's no longer there. And whenever you experience loss, you know, the only thing that just really can keep you going is just the hope that you find in Christ in the middle of all of the chaos. You know, however, the hope that comes with Christ isn't just about words or just with words, but actually it comes with his presence. That Jesus often comes in the middle of our losses. And he comes and he comes alongside, you know, us as we're grieving the losses that we have experienced. I was reading up on... Uh, uh, you know, I've, I've always known to be like, you know, the five stages of grief. Um, but then people have thought like, no, we need to add one more stage to that. So they're now like six stages of grief. Um, but I was, you know, listening to Rick Warren who lost his son to suicide. And he, you know, he was a pastor for many, many years. Still a pastor, but was pastoring a church for many, many years. And he spoke about his six stages of grief that he encountered. He says number one was shock. Shock that they are gone. Shock that this is happening. Shock, shock that it happened to me. You know, because we know that you might lose something or may lose someone. We know that, but for it to happen to you, that's a different thing. That brings a shock. I cannot believe this has happened. And then you have sorrow. You experience sorrow. You don't, you know, sometimes you don't even know how to feel. You know, somebody says, how are you? And you're like, I don't even know how to answer that because there's so much sorrow in you, you know. Um, I think somebody said 
I can only respond to that question by saying, I feel terrible, but I'll be okay. Because it's so hard when you're going through that sorrow after going through loss that you cannot really describe it. And then from sorrow, you move into struggle. And the struggle, this is when we ask all the questions there is in the world because we wonder. Because when you have experienced loss, most especially loss of someone you love, the view of, of reality is now distorted. You know, you no longer have the same view of your reality that you have always had. It's now different. And nothing really makes sense. So we'll ask all kinds of questions because we are struggling with what does this mean? What does this look like for me? Because now I have a new reality. I've always known my life, living my life with them but they are no longer here. So your view of reality is now distorted. It's now different. So you ask questions. Uh, I think on that, uh, Rick said, I never questioned my faith in God, but I questioned God's plan. I questioned God's plan. Why this? What's the purpose of this? So you go through this struggle when you're going through grief. And then from struggle, you go into surrender, in a surrender. Surrender, this is when you, you're going to live into this new reality and you're saying, more likely I won't have my questions answered. More likely I won't really make sense of this today or now, but I want to surrender myself to God with my questions. Because even God doesn't want to make sense of the situation that you're going through. He doesn't even try you know, to make it make sense. So you just surrender to God. Just surrender to God. And then number five is sanctification. Sanctification. Like, you know, pain is going to change you. The you know, suffering is going to change you. And you want to live in that, you know, grief. As you're going through grief, you are actually being changed in the grief. So you embrace the sanctification the work that God is doing in you through the grief and in the grief. So it's, there's a change now. The reality, there's a change to how life is going to look like. There's a change to how things will be now in your life. But then as you're grieving that, there's also a change that's happening within you, inside of you. There's a change that's happening. And finally, service. Service. Uh, this is when we let God use us through our pain. We let God use us through the hurt that we have experienced. You know, um, 2 Corinthians 1 talks about, you know, praise being to God of all comforts, who comforts us so that we ourselves can be a comfort to other people. So then you're going to use that for God's glory and say, you can use my hurt, God. You could use it. You know, every year I lead... Uh, a circle that we call the grief circle. And, you know, I lead this because, first of all, it's also good for me. So, like, everybody who has experienced loss, we just, like, sit around. In fact, if you want to be a part of that in 2024, let me know, and we're going to get you to be a part of that. But I lost my dad 21 years ago, but I still feel it, you know?
in the middle of the chaos, of the grief, God comes in. In the middle of the hardship, God shows up and he chooses to enter our pain. He never runs away from our grief. He never runs away from our grief. He enters it and he never lets us figure out our new reality without him. He never lets us figure out and make sense of this new reality without him. He comes and he offers us his presence. That's what God is going to offer us. He's not going to offer us an explanation to our losses, but he offers his presence. And when we're talking about the Christmas story, and often we talk about the Christmas story from our vintage point of like joy, gladness, and peace. And that's it. You know, under the songs that we sing are just about joy, gladness, and peace. Now, we know that there is joy, gladness, and peace in the Christmas story because that's true. But that's not the full story because in the midst of the Christmas story, we see a hope that shows up. But the hope that shows up is the hope that shows up in the midst of darkness. In the Christmas story, we see light being pronounced, not because there was light in the world, but because the presence of Jesus brings light into the world. In the Christmas story, we see hope being pronounced, not because there was hope already in the world, but because the presence of Jesus brings hope in the world. In the Christmas story, we proclaim peace, not because there was peace in the world, but because the praise of Jesus brings peace. It brings peace to you. The Christmas story, through it, we proclaim good news. Good news. Not because there was good news, but because the praise of Jesus is good news. It's good news to the poor. It's good news to the broken. It's good news to those who are devastated, those who are in despair. The praise of Jesus is good news. So we're going to talk about the hope, but also we're going to talk about despair that's there. We're going to talk about the darkness, but also the light that comes through Christ. His presence brings peace, brings hope, and brings joy. Now in this passage that we have read this morning in Matthew 2, we see this story of the Magi or the wise men, you know, which we just know there were three, but probably there were not three. Uh, we say three because they brought three gifts, right? There could have been seven, who knows? Um, could be two as well, but they brought three gifts. So anyway, the Magi are from the east and they see this star and they read up on it. They figure out that no, this is talking about something more significant. And they realize talking about a new king who's been born. So they started following the star and they go into Jerusalem and they get there uh, to this house, to this palace and the star disappears and they meet a king called Herod. And when they meet a king, they're thinking he should already know about this reality that there's a king who has been born. So they just come to him and say, where is the king? And now like, oh wait, I am the king. What do you mean where is the king? And they're like, yeah, where is the king who has been born? Because this is going to be the king of the Jews. So 
the scripture says Herod was disturbed by this. And not only him, but all of Jerusalem, they were so confused about this reality. So he invites priests, the teachers of the law, and he invites them and say, hey, can you guys confirm about this? And they said, yeah. It's actually true. Uh, because it says that a king who actually gonna, is, will be born in Bethlehem. So then um, he said, okay. He cooks up a plan, and then, but he tells them, he said, hey, um, when you go and find this king, can you let me, let me know where he is so that I can go and worship him? But we read later on to know that he was not going to go and worship him, right? Anyway, the magic go out, and they, they start reappear, which takes them to Jesus, and, you know, they worship him and give the gifts. But that night, you know, God instructs them not to go back to Herod, to just go through another route. So they go, and that very night, God instructs Joseph to take Mary, his wife, and their son, Jesus, and go to Egypt, run away. This is when Jesus becomes a refugee in Africa. So he goes there. And when you read this, just see how it ends, how this story ends. Then that was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, verse 17, verse 18. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. They are no more. Now I must say that that, that ending you know, disturbed me and confused me. And I was like, there's no resolve to this. Because, you know, we like the stories of like, oh, and the king, you know, planned to kill, uh, you know, these kids. But then a hero rose up and defeated the king and nothing like this happened, all right? Or, you know, Herod instructed his soldiers to kill the children and then lightning from heaven came and struck him dead. It is gone. But nothing like this is there. Actually, this story ends with tears, anguish, with pain. And sometimes you read this story and you're like, maybe it's the prayers of Jesus that brought death of these kids. Just uh, why would his coming not just be about peace, joy, and gladness and nothing else? Not, what about this evil thing that's happening? You can look at this story thinking if, you know, maybe if Jesus wasn't in that location, maybe those kids wouldn't have died. Maybe that community would have experienced genocide. But actually, that's not a true representation or a true picture of what we're seeing of what's happening here. In this passage, we see that the praise of Jesus actually exposes the darkness which was already there. The presence of Jesus exposes the evil which was already fully present there. It's not that his presence brings evil, but actually his presence exposes evil. Exposes, exposes this reality that there's darkness, there's evil among you. So he becomes the solution to what we are facing. He becomes the solution to the darkness. He becomes the solution to the evil the people were experiencing. Now, I just want to uh, kind of point out some things that this story highlights, you know, some truths that this story highlights um, about Jesus. Number one, this passage highlights the reality that, that the presence of Jesus exposes the depth of evil 
that was already present. Exposes the depth of evil. You know, we see an evil man herald here. And we see what power can do in the hands of an evil person. He can violate, he can destroy, he can kill the innocent if Jesus is not in the picture. And this evil that we see in Herod is not actually a sign of strength. This is a sign of weakness. Every single time you resolve to violence, that's not strength. That's actually weakness. That's fear being exposed in you. Because strength will never use power to destroy the vulnerable. But it's going to bring good news to the vulnerable. It's going to make something beautiful. And that's the way of Jesus. That's the way of Jesus. But Herod is someone who has power. And instead of protecting the vulnerable, he becomes a danger to the vulnerable. Ultimately, he kills the innocent. And because he was so gripped by fear, he wanted to destroy anything that's going to come you know, on his way. And he's like, if I am seeing or hearing of somebody else who's going to take over my throne, I want to take them out. So he was, he was going to do anything else to take everybody who's going to come on his way. And, and it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, fear, fear is not bothered by facts. Like, dude, it's a two-year-old. Like, if they grow up and take your throne, probably you'd be dead by then, right? But no, he's, he's still like, no, 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 I don't want anybody to actually be called king in this space. So therefore... He's motivated by fear and wouldn't mind, you know, how his actions will affect or destroy the innocent because what he wants is to get what he wants. You know, when, when you allow God's truth to take charge in your life, it's going to expose some things in you that you're, that you're uncomfortable with. When you allow the praise of Jesus to really take its full effect in your life, you know, the presence of Jesus can become offensive, and probably should be, you know, offensive to our plans, offensive to, you know, our views of reality, you know, to our perceptions. And if you're willing to let Jesus sit in, if you're willing to let Jesus really have his truth take root in your life, he's going to expose some things in you that you'll be uncomfortable with. But you have a choice. Either you're going to worship him as king or you're going to run away or destroy anything that's good like Herod was doing in this. Because I think most of us want to be connected to Jesus because Jesus works for us. And so because Jesus works for us, therefore I, will, I want to get connected to him. But we are unwilling to not only let Jesus work for us but also work in us. Like the praise of Jesus will work for you by being good to you, but at the same time, it's going to work in you. Work in you. And are you willing to embrace that, that Jesus can work in your life? Expose some things that are ungodly and invite you to surrender. So this story exposes the depth of evil which was there. Number two, this passage highlights the ugliness of sin and its effect on humanity. You know, sin is so ugly that ultimately it affects the innocent. You know, you think that when you sin, that you sin alone. You know, you think that when you are 
living that sinful life, that it's only going to affect you and nobody else. But that's not the truth. The truth is that your sin, if you continue to live that life of sin, eventually it's going to affect the innocent. You know, you've been unfaithful to your wife or to your spouse. And that destroys a peaceful home that you had. And your kids, who have always experienced this peaceful home, and now have to live in a home that's full of chaos because of your actions. You've been stealing at your workplace, and you lose your job, and your kids are now being kicked out of school because you cannot pay tuition for them. Now you no longer have a job. Sin is always going to affect the innocent. Sin is going to affect the innocent. You've been doing shady business deals, and now you get arrested, and you moved away from your family, from your loved ones for a long time, and now your family has to survive and live a life without you. Sin will eventually affect the innocent. Sin does affect them. You don't sin alone, and we did not make the mistake that's only going to affect me. Did not make that mistake. And Herod's sin does affect the innocent. His pride, his unwillingness to live a life that honors God. He's just full of himself and he sees himself probably as a God. And that life eventually affects the innocent. He was so full of himself that instead of worshiping the Messiah, he wanted to get get rid of the Messiah. It's like, I don't want him in my life. I don't need him in my life. And because of that, he he had no campus. He had no better view of reality, perception, or even any value of human life. And his sin eventually affects the innocent. This is why our hope can only be found in Christ and not in anything else. Because Jesus, Jesus is actually better and he makes us better at being human. You know, when you embrace Jesus, you become a better human. Number three, this passage highlights the brokenness, the brokenness of our world. The brokenness of our world which leaves people in pain and anguish. We live in a broken world that we come into contact with people who hurt us. We live in a broken world that we come into contact with people who betray us. We live in a broken world that we encounter pain and suffering from things that we cannot control. Things like diseases, death, economic hardship, natural disaster, things that you cannot control. But you, 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 you go through them. It shows how broken our world is. And just because you're doing God's will, just because you're following God, just because you are being a good person, let's say, to speak, that's not going to prevent you from experiencing suffering. It's not a matter of if suffering is going to happen to you. It's a matter of when it happens to you. All of us do experience suffering. So even if 
you obey God. You know, in this story, Mary and Joseph, who are actually doing the things that God is telling them to do, they are literally obeying God. But even them, they had to endure suffering. They had to lose family. They had to lose the places that they've always known and become a refugee. We don't know how their life was like there. But they endured suffering. But that should never stop us from obeying God. We're still going to obey God because when we obey God, we bring light in the light of, in the, in the, in the, in the midst of darkness. We still do good. Because doing good, doing good is not about escaping evil, but it's about exposing God's goodness in the midst of evil. So we're going to do good. There's somebody else who, who said, Every single person you come into contact with is sitting next to a pool of their own tears. Every single person you come in contact with is sitting next to a pool of their own tears that they have a story that actually involves brokenness and pain and suffering. That all of us have our own painful stories. But the good news is that Jesus is fully present with you is right there with you. This is when we go to reality number four. That this passage highlights the beauty of a God who is fully present with us. It highlights the reality of a God who is fully present with us. God is fully present with us, especially when we have experienced loss. You know, God is committed to offering his presence, especially in hard times. We see that God is committed to being with his people. And how do we see this? We see it through the reality that God sends a baby to rescue us. Jesus coming as a human baby is God's way of coming in, not, not, not to just fix us, but actually to walk on our journey with us. Jesus coming in as a human baby is God being committed to walk the human journey. This is God who says, I want to feel what it feels like to lose something. This is the king who understands our suffering because he has walked our road. He has walked our path. This is God who understands our hardship. He understands how we feel. God sends us a baby. And he becomes one of us so he can have a full experience He's a God who knows and understands what it means to lose something that you hold dear. He's a God who weeps and mourns because he, he himself experienced loss. He's a God who grieves, and because he's a God who grieves, then he grieves with us in our losses. And finally, this passage highlights God's hopeful plan for humanity. It highlights God's hopeful plan for humanity. You know, reading this story, Herod looks so powerful. That he has so much power that he would instruct people to do this horrific thing and everybody's going to obey him. And it might look like evil is actually winning in this story. Because instead of the powerful protecting the weak, the powerful are abusing and killing the vulnerable. People who are in authority, instead of protecting 
they are now destroying. And what's God's solution in this story is actually to get, to get Jesus out, right? Into safety. And I feel like, is that really a win? Is God losing there? But whenever you feel like God is losing, he's actually working. When you feel like God is losing, he's actually working. Because we know the reality that when Jesus goes, he actually comes back. He actually comes back. When we feel like God is losing, he's actually preparing a surprise event. That he's going to come back and he's going to defeat death. Whenever you feel like God is losing, he's actually winning for you. Because in the end, Jesus wins. In the end, death is never going to have a final word. But Jesus will. Jesus is going to have a final word. In the end, Jesus fixes our broken world. In the end, he builds a world where it's better for us to live, where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. So he comes into our deepest longing, which is saying, it should never be this way. And Jesus comes in. Now, I must admit that reading this story, I was uncomfortable, first of all, because of the way it ends. But secondly, I was uncomfortable because I, because I realized that I am uncomfortable with tears. I am uncomfortable with grief. Like for that story to just end with grief, I'm like, no, it shouldn't end there, right? But you and I are very uncomfortable, most especially with the tears of others. We're so uncomfortable with the tears of others. We struggle to embrace grief, grief of our own and the grief of others. But grief is actually the appropriate response whenever we encounter loss. Grief is the right way for you to respond. Grief is appropriate. Because in grief, you're saying, Things should never be this way. Life should never be this way. So whenever we grieve, we embrace this reality. But also there's something more that we do when we grieve. When we grieve, we're actually allowing goodness to win than evil. Because if you don't grieve, you run the danger of becoming the evil that happened to you. More especially if this came through people. It's that boss who made you lose that job. It's that person who made you lose that. And therefore what you're going to do is I want to take revenge. But when you grieve, you actually let goodness triumph. You're not going to let evil take charge. So you grieve, you mourn. And this is why it's very, so important for us as a church to actually grieve together. Because grief actually unites, mourning unites. So we come to God. We grieve not as a way of numbing our pain, but actually we are coming 
into the reality that we want to embrace God's presence that's there with us even in our grief because in our grief we cry out to God and God comes in and he says I am with you I am there I am with you you know the birth of Jesus did not stop the death of these children but we know the death of Jesus stops death once and for all the birth of Jesus did not stop these mothers experiencing grief but we know his death brings goodness into the world brings beauty into the world and that's why he never shines away from your grief now we don't grieve so that we leave things behind and move forward no we actually move forward with our grief and we allow God to walk with us in our grief <laughs> now I know there are people here you know maybe this just triggers the loss that you've experienced in your life and I want us just to pray for each other so I want to ask you if you're okay with standing if you're like you know what I'm this is hard for me this season is hard for me because I've lost this I've less I've lost them we want to just come alongside you as a community and just walk with 